Beyond Governance, Making Sense of Doing Business in South Africa is proudly sponsored by Plus94 Research, the science of decision making. A very good morning to you, a very warm welcome to this week's installment of Beyond Governance at High FM 101.9. Thank you for choosing us on this glorious uh, morning. I certainly my great pleasure to have you to have you in my company uh, as we continue to highlight critical uh, national, continental, and global uh, issues of importance in the area of productivity, competitiveness, benchmarking, and of course corporate governance as its application cuts across industries and sectors. Once again, uh, welcome to the Beyond Governance. Uh, and yours truly is Nimrod better. As always, I'm delighted to bring you beloved listener of this wonderful show, thought leaders and captains of industry to shed light on socioeconomic and political environment to inform your business world. I certainly hope that we are making a difference from that perspective. If you missed our previous show, not to worry, simply download the podcast and listen to captivating conversation we had with Stumi Lamini, who is an attorney by profession and also attached to an organization called Organization for Global Africa Cooperation as its chief executive. The thrust of our conversation with my with my then guest was based on the report published by the African peer review mechanism titled uh, Drivers uh, of Corporate Governance in Africa Across Analysis. In that conversation, on the extent to which African peer review mechanism is seeking to foster not only political governance, but also corporate governance. Parallel to gravitation towards corporate governance is a multi layered consideration in terms of uh, issues of equity. We all know that the African market uh, is riddled with inequalities. There is a greater proportion of informal sector which have seen in some over in a couple of years or so exponential growth which have naturally triggered a need to infuse corporate governance ethos amidst grinding challenges of large informal sector these obviously complications that we observed in our conversation with Tommy. in my view these complications or complexities have also called into question the appropriateness of eurocentric corporate governance template and instruments that are used by financial institutions which do not necessarily speak to contextual issues in an African market. One other issue that came out, in my view, is the fact that the institutional capacity of most state entities do not have sufficient capacity to collect and synthesize large-scale data, which is quite critical uh, in making uh, informed decision about you know where to invest and the state of corporate governance in the, in the continent, as it were. If you missed that particular show, not to worry, simply download the podcast as I've already indicated and share your views through our SMS line, which is 34519. Welcome your thoughts and views via the Twitter handle, which is at Mbele Nimrod. Moving on swiftly uh, into this conversation, I'm joined by Dr. Manovani, who is a senior lecturer at UNISA School of Agriculture and Animal Health, as well as uh, Son Molobi, who's an executive at Brand Hill Africa. The gist of our conversation is centered around sustainability and food security through the prism of Climate Smart Agriculture Workshop, which took place last week. Without any waste of time, let me take this opportunity to welcome my colleagues. Uh, gentlemen, you're most welcome to Beyond Governance. Thank you. Thank you, Doc. Thank you for such a wonderful welcome. It really means a lot to engage and sit with you on this topics that offer great interest to the people of Africa and South Africa and beyond. Thank you. 
Russell, you're no longer a stranger to the soul, please. Good morning, my brother, Dr. Nimrod, and also Dr. Mashapa Malobane. Um, nice to join you uh, virtually again, this time on this platform. Thank you very much, uh, gentlemen. Perhaps maybe just to contextualize our conversation, it is common cause that climate change is a threat to our food security. We obviously have to adopt climate smart techniques to mitigate against any uh, change in the food production, as it were. And this, for me, begs a million dollar question. What is the readiness levels? To what extent, or what are indices that are being used to determine levels of readiness and responsiveness, which I think the heart of our conversation with you gentlemen. In that particular way, we just wanted to paint the picture. Uh, perhaps maybe let me just start with uh, Dr. Malobadi. Um, as one of the facilitators in that particular workshop. Take us through, literally, in terms of your highlight at the onset. And obviously from there, you can give us a sense of your understanding of what are the growing concerns of global warming in the South African and African context. Before you come back to that particular insight, uh, let's take a quick break for we are back in second. Uh, do not go away. This you are about to be fed with intriguing conversation with my esteemed guests. Beyond Governance, making sense of doing business in South Africa, is proudly sponsored by Plus Ninety Four Research, the science of decision making. You are listening to Beyond Governance at High FM One Hundred One Point Nine. My name is Nimrat Tembela, and I'm joined by Dr. Malobani, who is a senior lecturer at Inisa School of Agriculture and Animal Health as well as Sol Molobi, who's an executive at Brand Hill Africa. Before we took that quick break, I just wanted uh, Dr. Molobani to give us insight of his high-level thought in terms of the workshop that took place sometime last week. I think it is very important to look into the question as divided into two segments. The first one being the readiness. How ready are we to farm alongside climate change while we're trying to mitigate um, its uh, devastating effect. I think that is still one of the greatest questions that sits on the table that most people are not really aware. I think we are still dealing with most farmers trying to do things the way they were being done um, from the previous millennium, but some farmers are literally feeling the effect. They are losing their crops. I mean, we, we have seen right now in South Africa the incidents where we have a lot of rainfalls. The question is, if there comes a time where the climate change brings floods in your area, how do you then try to salvage some of the crop? How do you make sure that you don't lose 100% of the crop that you have in the in the field? But we, we know, it's, it's, I've seen a lot of farmers associations in KZN, in Bloemfontein, where they're complaining about their farmers are losing all the crop because of the floods, which we need. It's one of the effects of climate change and the readiness. It's also in a point that we can see that most farmers are not ready. And also there's a lot of data showing that South African farmers are not transitioned to climate smart in a rate that other people are doing it in the globe. Maybe this could be in relations to awareness. I mean, what is climate smart agriculture to them? How does it operate? So all of those are literally contributing to the low intake. They are people who are taking it 
in KZN, there are some people in the Bloemfontein, but some of the areas beyond that, I don't think there is any much data that is there to support that um, farmers are ready to farm. We know there's complaints. Others in Limpopo and the areas of Mpumalanga, they're experiencing drought. They're losing crops. But we need to get a way of farming alongside climate change, which is literally adaptation. Climate smart agriculture gives both uh, adaptation and mitigation at the same time. We need to get ways to make sure that we don't contribute to greenhouse gases, which literally translate to the emissions being a problem. The devastating effects, every time we get floods, it always come back to food prices are going to go high because farmers have lost and they need to still make profit. At the end of the day, it's not just a farmer that is affected, but a general customer. At, it's, it's a rural, remote, where income, they don't have sustainable income. They're still affected by what climate change brings to them, whether it's directly or indirect. We have seen that recently, in the recent years, we have been affected by heat waves, something that was never there, something that we never experienced. We see high recording records in temperatures, which that's a concern that if we do not do anything, we saw what's happening in Australia, there's wildfires now and then. So those are the things that if we do not do anything, we are going to sit with a population growth that is increasing, but food insecurity also increasing in the same manner. Thank you for, for that download, which I think really set the scene in comprehending the complexities of the issue at hand. Um, let me just bring in Saul here, uh, because one of the issues that you have raised, Dr. Malavana, is the extent to which uh, communication obviously is one driver. However, the reception on data around climate change to various stakeholders is not optimum. I know Saul in other lives he operates as an advocacy champion. What is the limit or what are the limitations, Saul, in your view, in terms of increasing the level of consciousness among various stakeholders on the impact of climate change to food security or on food security, as it were. Let me first acknowledge the partners who made the workshop last week uh, possible. It was the United Nations, it was the European Union, um, uh, UNISA, and to a large extent, credit also goes to UNISA's Department of Agricultural Sciences that developed all the content for, for the three-day workshop. Obviously, Brand Hill Africa as an advocacy group was a partner to UNISA Enterprises. We need a mass mobilization campaign to change perceptions of our people, not only to agriculture, but to rural development. Um, so that ultimately our people may understand that rural areas do not necessarily equal underdevelopment and backwardness. And the minute we are able to achieve that, then we will also be able to contain this mass exodus from our rural areas into the cities and urban areas. But also the workshop achieved one important objective of demystifying uh, what climate change is. And as Dr. Maloban has already alluded to it, 
the workshop managed to break it down so that people who attended were able to understand what climate change is and how it impacts on agriculture and food security in general. Thank you very much for that note. So I think it's quite useful, the issue that you've raised, which I will just unpack in just a second. Beyond Governance, Making Sense of Doing Business in South Africa is proudly sponsored by Plus94 Research, the science of decision-making. You are listening to Beyond Governance at High FM 101.9. My name is Nimrod Kibene. I'm joined by Dr. Molobani, who is a senior lecturer at UNICEF School of Agriculture and Animal Health, as well as Son Molob, who is an executive at Brain Hill Africa. We are unpacking the global change or the global um, the climate change in respect to its implication uh, on food production. As you are aware, uh, climate change has an exorbitant or extraneous um, implication on you know, food security or food insecurity, if you like. Before we took that break, Saul raised a very pertinent point around the need to mobilize uh, the rural community uh, as you know to catch a massive exodus. But he also raised uh, an important point around the, how the workshop demystified the notion of climate change, which in my view speaks to the role of government in popularizing the climate change. I know obviously this is this is a multi-layered stakeholder arrangement. It's not only government, but there are a lot of parties, uh, there are a lot of organizations, stakeholders who need to be uh, rallied behind or who really needs to rally behind this campaign. From Dr. Malubani's point of view, how far the needle has moved on a positive side in mobilizing communities and stakeholders around the significance of climate change. It's a very remote organization that needs to come together and try to put a hand because the problem requires everybody to contribute one way or the other, whether it's the energy sector, which we know it's it's one of the highest contributor in gases. Agriculture, also the way it does things, it contributes to gases gas emissions that are very that are the ones that lead to climate change but in terms of how the needle how far the needle went i know the government interventions from the department of agriculture and dffe that are, are trying to bring awareness to most um small-scale farmers and farmers and people in business as general that might be interested in agriculture but this also led to the initiative of the workshop. But we still need more, like Saul said, we need this exodus. We need to mobilize so that change can be achieved now because we need to go to sustainability because sustainability is not just about producing. It's beyond producing more now. It's producing more now and in future. Think of the generations to come so that the land that we have could still give food to them. We need to go beyond what we have done now. Obviously, one of the major stakeholders that plays a very good role in this is government, obviously in terms of resources, in terms of mandate, could reach a large number of smallholder farmers. They have database. They know who's, who is sitting where. The universities also needs to come into play because they can carry capacity for science to demonstrate real-time um, results that farmers could also use as reference so that they can change their perceptions. 
and also organizations, whether it be NGOs and other farmers co-ops or farmers organizations, they all need to come together and get aware of whether it's channeling funds so that most farmers can be covered. That is the greatest start in trying to reach more, but we still need to do more. That's what I could tell you, Doc. Before we go into the next question, uh, I can give a national context. South Africa is emerging as a leader in international efforts to cut uh, carbon emissions and promote resilience to to climate change. And maybe that's why uh, even multilateral institutions like you, EU and the, the UN came on board to partner with the Department of Fisheries, Forestry and Environment in undertaking this workshop. And the country is pursuing this climate-friendly developmental agenda that minimizes um, greenhouse gases, but also maintaining a robust economic development. Because uh, considering the crisis that our economy is, Yes, uh, we have to commit to global uh, to a global agenda, whilst at the same time ensuring that we secure the livelihood of our people. And perhaps we may also commend uh, President Cyril Ramaphosa for establishing the Presidential Climate Commission, which is coordinating all efforts by the South African government and the private sector and civil society in ensuring that uh, the country is on board in terms of honoring our commitments on 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 climate change so i think this is very very um um uh, commendable for for us as a country our climate change commitment uh, made last year uh, at, the, at, the, at, the, at, the, at the UN conference on climate change has shown that we have moved vigorously from, from our initial uh, commitments that five years ago, especially even when you look at our energy mix, um, as Dr. Malovan has already indicated, that uh, gas emissions to a large extent are the ones who are primarily polluting our environment. So I'll say in that regard, our commitments show that we are indeed prepared to tackle issues of the environment, uh, social uh, their social um, impact and also addressing the governance issues. Because right now, uh, environment, social and governance issues are on the buzzword, not only of government, but also of the private sector. Thank you very much for that insight, Son, which I couldn't agree with you more. You, you raised very pertinent issues out on the global agenda uh, around climate change, which, I mean, we've seen uh, over the past 10 years or so, the global community fostering cohesion in terms of appreciating the extent to which global and global change is not only it, it's not only life-threatening there have to be serious plans uh, serious mitigation strategies to you know to farm in alongside global change which the doctors are led to but having said that we do know inequalities inequities particularly in the context of energy mix the bulk of developing countries are still relying on fossil co- uh, you know, of coal as a means of, of energy. And that in its own brings a whole lot of complications. 
um, around climate change. At one level, you recognize you've got master plans which do not take into account the level of developments between the north and the south. The south still heavily rely on fossil fuels uh, when the north is now in the space of cleanup energy. And obviously this will impact on the production of agricultural uh, uh, you know, goods and services. So to what extent the workshop reflected on disproportionate implications of climate change in the African continent, bearing in mind that the, the you know, poverty inequality are vast uh, in an African continent. Can you just, Dr. Wallerman, can you, are you able to share with us what are some of the issues that the seminar reflected on? And is there a light at the end of the tunnel based on that? Okay, thanks, Doc. Um, with, with the seminar, what we did was to, and unfortunately, we never went to an extent of trying to look at the, the, the different proportions uh, in Af- looking at Africa versus um, the European countries in terms of the energy sectors. But what we did was to acknowledge that climate change is here and the farming sector is affected and we need to do something. But the point you're raising is very important because um, if we have a master plan, our energy sector is still um, literally relying on coal, which it's a very great challenge. It's the most um, contributor to climate change, especially in, in, in when we talk about it at um, national level. But I know there are some initiatives to try to move us from from the coal to clean energy. Some European countries are investing so that we can move to that space. And one of the things that is still also coming slow, it's the, um, the issue of biofuels. And, and we, we need to also look into that in a, in a very good spectrum. And one thing I like about the climate smart is because it fits well also in the biofuel, especially if you're going to use biomass, which they, there's a biofuel industrial strategy of South Africa that comes from the Department of Environmental Affairs that we need to look into using what is classified as marginal soils to try to produce biomass so that we can produce biofuels. That implementation will all, it's fit very well in climate smart, but we we still need to get away of implementing it because not only that it that it will answer the bio production, but it also appreciate and and take into consideration the importance of rural economy. Those are the things that they're sitting somewhere. There's white papers that are sitting somewhere, but the implementation is very slow. That's why I believe that if all stakeholders sit in one table and this, we could go further. Obviously, investments is very key in trying to carry some of these responsibilities. Can we bring in Saul? So there are a lot of very complex issues that have been raised uh, thus far. Are you able to give your perspective on the energy mix and the extent to which the energy mix is been, or the blueprint around energy mix is being implemented, and what are the challenges? In fact, our energy mix is quite progressive. The target for solar energy is at 18%, and indeed, if we look at the, the past 7 to 10 years, there has been huge investments in the renewable energy space coming into the country. I, for one, 
when I was based in Italy on diplomatic posting. I know that um, we brought uh, a company called Build Energy that built the solar plant between Utenage and Kimberley. We brought in uh, Ensaldo Energy that built um, renewable power plants in the Eastern Cape and KZN. And then there's also another interesting uh, development of wind harnessed power, uh, which our energy mix uh, has set at of 8%, which means all in all in the immediate future, we are looking at renewable energy contributing at 25%. Yes, the controversial one is coal. People will always mention uh Midupi uh, power station, but the reality is that if you look at all other countries, especially your so-called first world developed countries, they've always relied on on coal, and that's where their energy, their economic development, is where it is right now. But South Africa has made a commitment that by 2050 we will be reaching our goal of reaching um, net zero carbon dioxide emissions. And that's why uh, the president has started engaging with a number of international role players who committed to helping uh, ESCOM to move away gradually from from coal-powered energy into into embracing renewable clean energy uh, as as an option. So generally, we are doing very well uh, as a country and also um even though we are we are now the third biggest economy in in africa uh, after nigeria and egypt uh, we are still the most uh, sophisticated um economy on the continent and that's why perhaps it was important that um this workshop uh, supported by the UN and the EU uh, first began here in South Africa and hopefully uh, it will then be moved to other regional capitals like your, your Kenya for East Africa, Nigeria for West Africa and and also to, to, to Egypt uh, for North Africa. So generally we are doing very well and we are also taking into consideration the fact that the level at which our economy is um, dictates that we can't just impose uh, radical um, changes that will end up uh, disadvantaging us uh, as a as a country well, i couldn't agree with you more on that note uh, um, obviously when it comes to policy uh, change, particularly in the context of inequalities and inequities uh, in any given situation, there has to be a standard approach that looks at how you phase in or phase out what could be seen as obsolete um, technologies. So it is important uh, from a policy point of view to um, sequence programs that recognizes the need to evolve into the fourth industrial revolution technologies, which uh, are seen to be using less and less emissions, um, as it were. So it is quite important that that you know that programming mix, from a policy point of view, uh, is recognizing of those inequities. Um, as if you move too fast, you are undermining. You will be undermining economic growth 
Um, and so I do like your initial point that the, the first world communities, their evolution to cleaner emissions were, were as a result of, of coal. And therefore, there has to be a great understanding in as much as we are aware of the global impact of, 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 of global warming uh, from a food security perspective. We also need to be aware that uh, most of most countries in Africa and developing world um, are still relying on, on you know, coal for energy uh, to pump um, the energy station as it were. But moving forward, um, perhaps maybe what could be, you know, uh, pulled out from this as by way of extrapolation is that the movement around climate change is actually improving. My sense that climate change has become fashionable. Uh, what is the overall perspective on climate change narrative? Um, you know, permeating all the structures of society, whether you're talking NGOs, academia, research institution. What is your perspective from that? Let's have a quick detour uh, to our commercial. I'll be back in a second. Beyond Governance, Making Sense of Doing Business in South Africa is proudly sponsored by Plus94 Research, the science of decision-making. It's amazing how time flies when you really have an interesting conversation with a um, knowledgeable individual in the sector. You are listening to Beyond Governance at High FM 101.9. Your truly is Nimrod Duman, and I'm joined by Dr. Malabani, who is a senior lecturer at UNISA Schools of Agriculture and Animal Health, as well as Sol Molovi, who is an executive at Brand Hill Africa. Before we took that uh, commercial break, I put it to colleagues, uh, particularly Solomon on the extent to which this movement um, around climate change is taking shape and the extent to which um, all the major institutions, um, you know, whether politically and, and the private sector, are beginning to recognize the, the role of climate change by way of not only changing their programs, but policies that looks at how to mitigate this. Your take on that, Sol? If we look at the latest forecast released by the International Energy Agency, they are saying that, yes, the big emitters have committed to, to reducing coal consumption between now and 2024. For instance, China will be reducing uh, their coal consumption by over 57%. The biggest one will be the European Union reducing by 82%. By 82%. But the reality is that I, China will still be dependent on coal at 50%, even after reduction of their current um, coal consumption level. India will be the second biggest emitter from coal at 12%, Indonesia at 7%. United States, even though it's going, it has made commitment to reduce by 44 uh, it will still be the fourth biggest coal emitter at, at six. So basically, I'm raising these statistics to say to, to us that we shouldn't judge ourselves too harshly as South Africa. We should still commit ourselves reducing emissions and moving away from your traditional energy production techniques in, into cleaner ones. And generally, I would say that uh, the private sector has generally bought into this. Uh, civil society has bought into this. 
But at the same time, we also have to be very careful of the danger of your single-issue institutions, uh, which will only concentrate on on us still relying uh, on coal on coal production for our energy needs, without balancing that with all other needs which are linked to um, protecting the the livelihoods of our of our people through using some of the existing techniques of advancing our economy. So generally, where, from where I'm standing, yes, I'm quite positive about the impact that South Africa is making. And also the research that is coming out of institutions such as UNISA is very, very reassuring. And also looking at uh, the quality of, of people who attended our workshops, uh, our workshop last week o- over the three days, they weren't only coming from South Africa, but uh, because it was um, delivered virtually, we had people from other countries, African countries, who participated, showing that there's a huge interest here. Thank you very much for that observation. Uh, so let me just bring in, uh, you know, Dr. Molobri uh, here. One of the biggest challenge is access to technologies that is closer or technologies that could, you know, be enhanced or to be leveraged on to enhance production amidst climate change. Did the workshop consider those issues and what are the challenges uh, over and above just information dissemination? What are the challenges which the workshop exposed, particularly from farming communities who may or may not have access to the technology that is needed to counter, counter, offer or counter the impact of global warming from production side of things? Just shed some light on those. What the workshop did is because I there were also questions about technology being a person to access, but climate smart agriculture it goes to extend of site specific. There are technologies that are there. I remember giving example about a smallholder farmer who wants to plant, but he does not have a planter and he wants to apply conservation agriculture, which is one of the techniques in climate smart. You, you, you need your hand hooves. You can use your hand hooves just to open rows and plant because the, the idea is that you do not want to bring tractor to your land, which by doing so, you're obviously mm-hmm. you're minimizing the use of petroleum fuels, which so we just stated that it's, it's a problem in so you that's one of the points where you're coming in some you will have planters that could do the good job that some smallholder farmers will access to but one of the things we were advocating for in the workshop is farming community becoming together if there's an instrument that is more expensive and one cannot um, purchase it collectively they can buy we talked about drones and other things that collectively they can buy and use it amongst themselves as a way to leverage the technology and also establishing you know community relations which is another way that farming sector needs to go through especially the smallholder farmers so that is one of the talks about technology we're gravitating towards the last segment of our very interesting conversation uh, let's take a quick break we're back in a second do not go away Beyond Governance, Making Sense of Doing Business in South Africa is proudly sponsored by Plus94 Research, the science of decision-making. 
Thank you for tuning in. This is Beyond Governance at IFM 101.9. My name is Nimrat Mede. I'm joined by Dr. Malobad, who is a senior lecturer at UNICEF School of Agriculture and Human Health, as well as Sol Malobi, who is an executive at Branding Africa. We are reflecting on the climate change seminar, which took place last week. There are a lot of issues that are coming forward that really give us a sense of uh, the continent is, South Africa and the continent is, in responding to the climate change scenario, which have grave implications on the production. We all know production means production costs are high to uh, lower yields. Costs are going to be higher, and that's going to hit everyone's pocket. Gentlemen, we gravitate to our last point. Saul, your part is short as a way of taking this message forward literally in 30 seconds. My potential is that developed countries have a responsibility to assist South Africa and Africa as a whole, uh, and even developing countries uh, to both build resilience to climate impacts and accelerate greater uptake of clean sources of energy. They have to come on board to help us finance this transition. Dr. Malobani, your party short in literally 30 seconds. All the stakeholders need to be involved in addressing these problems. And I urge the community out there to be on the look on the UNISA uh, website. We'll be launching short learning program that will be covering um, climate smart uh, agriculture technologies. So we urge anyone who's interested to go and apply. It will be very, very useful. Are you able to share with us the website or the, the platform where people can access this incredible information, Doc, quickly? It will be on the UNISA website. Right now, we're still on the on the phase of finalizing all the required uh, internal phases so that it can pass and be approved within UNISA. And once that is finalized, it will be published on UNISA site. If you just go to UNISA uh, general website and you go to short learning programs, it will, it will appear there. So we're still trying to finalize it. Once it's finalized, it will cover, it will go into details beyond what we did in the workshop. So it, it's a very well packaged. It talks about animal production. It talks about plant production. It talks about the use of remote sensing. Absolutely. Thank you very much. Gentlemen, it has been an absolute pleasure having you on board. Uh, thank you for your time and your insight on very critical and complex issues, you're most welcome. Thank you. Thank you for hosting us. It, it was a great experience and great thing to sit with you and share on this case. Thank you very much. And thank you, uh, Dr. Malobane, for, for joining us. As usual, um, thank you, Dr. Thank you very Malobane. much, uh, Dr. And Dr. and Dr. Malobane, for your insight. They were our colleagues. Um, we had a very, uh, uh, you know, very impactful conversation that we've had with esteemed guests here at the Beyond Governance uh, uh, show. We had Dr. Malobani, who is a senior lecturer at UNISA School of Agriculture and Animal Health, as well as Sol Malobi, who is an executive at Brand Hill Africa. We uh, did our best to mull over very complex and complicated uh, uh, you know, issues that are brought by climate change, which is, you know, if, un if unchecked, is going to be uncontrollable. So we, I think we definitely could have a yet another session on this topic because we barely scratched the surface. We're going to have to leave it here for time is not on our side. Uh, thank you very much and enjoy your day further. Um, shalom. Beyond Governance was brought to you by Plus94 Research, the science of decision making. We've weathered the unexpected. We've stepped into a new world. 
And now it is the time for our businesses to re-emerge. Sure-footed, clear-headed and strategically on point. It is a time for greater certainty, for accurate, actionable market research and business intelligence to make effective, up-to-date decisions. South Africa, that is how we move our businesses and economy forward. Plus 94 Research, the science of decision-making.